And my text this evening is taken from the reading, Acts chapter 16. And let's zoom in for a moment, verse 25 there. Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them, or rather they were amazed by this. They were, they didn't know what to do. They were listening to them. Let me just pray quickly. Lord, thank you for your word and for these wonderful histories these relevant passages that are not distant, but are very real to many of us. Thank you that you are the light, that hope in the dark dungeon, and that we who have found you can say, I, I look to him and live. Help us now, Lord, as we consider your word and be with us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Eavesdropping. Uh, this is a, in, I asked, I was preaching in Welsh this morning, I, I asked what is eavesdropping in Welsh and someone had to help me. It's an interesting word, isn't it? In 2016, I found myself in a lifeboat station on Nantucket. Now, I'd been to a conference in Boston and my friends went on to the Big Apple, New York, for those of you who don't know what the Big Apple is. <laughs> and I felt wooed to Nantucket, call me Ishmael, Moby Dick. And the place left such an impression on me. And $40 a night, for, I'm, not, I'm not Thomas Cook now, but $40 a night staying in this amazing youth hostel, which used to be an old lifeboat station right on the beach. And that night, that first night, I played Scrabble with the editor of... I won't say which magazine, just in case they're listening, uh, but uh, a New Zealand editor of a well-known magazine. And as we were playing, they started running Christians down and mocking Jesus Christ. And, you know, Scrabble's quite, you know, you're face-to-face, aren't you? And I, eventually I said to her with a smile, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Now, she didn't know what to say then, did she? The game suddenly started getting quicker. And she started rushing the game and saying to me, my boy, you've been brainwashed. And you're such a lovely fellow, she said, and you've been brainwashed. I thought I failed here because there was no change in her. Before I went to bed, I passed the guardian of the youth hostel and he pulled my coat and he said, I don't think you're brainwashed. I was listening to you in the dark. And I want to know more. I want to know more. That's not a story about me, my friends. That is a story about light in the dark. Christians, people are watching you. People are listening to you. And there's, another, there's two situations in this chapter, isn't there? In that prison, you've got... Singing in the dark, hopeful voices in the dark. And then you've got the sigh of the prison warden and that cry of help. Two very different scenarios. On the, he's even on the verge of suicide and yet he calls out, doesn't he? We've got two scenarios, different voices in the dark. And that's why I want us to eavesdrop this evening. 
I want us to listen at these voices in Acts chapter 16. First of all, we've got that voice of joy at midnight, haven't we? This is the bit where I smile. And then secondly, we've got the voice of desperation in midnight hour. And finally, voices of joy again at breakfast. So voices of joy, voice of desperation, and a voice of joy again. So let's consider these three scenarios and the voices involved. So voices of joy at midnight. Paul and Silas, two Christian missionaries, uh, have had a full-on day, haven't they? They're singing at midnight. Let's backtrack a bit. Chapter 16, open it if you've got it, try and follow me now, is moving on so many levels. We see the gospel spreading into Europe for the first time. Great. That's, we are a product of this first move into Europe. And you remember in verse 9 at the beginning of our reading that Paul had received that vision, hadn't he, of a Macedonian calling him to come. And that changes the direction of Paul's second missionary journey. It's the catalyst. Campbell Morgan said that the invasion of Europe was not in the mind of Paul, but was definitely in the mind of the Holy Spirit. And we are testament to that. But where are they exactly? Well, Luke tells us, doesn't he? Look at the travel writing doctor's words there in verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, it's very detailed this, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, or Philippi as we say, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. It's a Roman colony, which seems close to the author, I find, in these, in these chapters, and named after, I don't know if you're a classicist in our midst, named after Philip of Macedon. His son was the more famous, Alexander the Great. It's a prosperous trading hub. You can imagine the languages flowing in this place. You can hear them speaking Greek. They speak in Hebrew. They speak in Persian. It's a melting pot, a little bit like Cardiff. And Luke is going to give us a taste in the chapter 16 of the gospel's power by taking three individuals out of that melting pot. You know this, don't you, if you've been to Sunday school? Look at, and he's there. Look, verse 11, we. Verse 16, us. So he takes these three converts and places them now before his readers. Lydia, the Coco Chanel of Philippi. She'd be a boutique owner on, well, it's Queen Street the same, I'm not sure. Maybe, um, I don't know. Um, one of those nice streets in the middle of Paris. That's the level we're talking here. Proper purple cellar. I won't go into how they made the purple. Uh, secondly, you've got this stalking, stalking fortune teller, telling girl. What's the equivalent today? Maybe one of the red community, exploited by men. And then in this symphony of salvation, the high point is the Philippian jailer. 
as dad would say, he's a brutal old-timer, a hard ex-military guy, probably, who is like a finale to this symphony of salvation. Let's pause a minute. Now, who are you? Now, you're very respectable. Are you clever, maybe? Or you might be illiterate. Are you an editor of a leading magazine? Are you Coco Chanel or an ex-military man? You notice Luke is showing you here that the gospel, the good news, Jesus Christ, is not just for Coco Chanel or the white, respectable, blue-collar worker. He's for you all. Because what is the gospel? Gospel is good news. What is good news? The person and work of Jesus Christ, which we'll get on to in a minute. I don't care what language you speak. Luke doesn't care. What colour your skin is, Luke doesn't care. On first reading, at a very basic level in this chapter, we're getting a presentation of how, how wide the gospel's relevance is. But let's get back to the text. The gospel changes things. It disturbs the dark equilibrium, doesn't it? That status quo in each of these lives. And people aren't happy when you're saved, are they? And you see that here. The reason these two good men are having a full-on day is because of convert number two and the reaction of the people to the change in her. We've all had those stories, haven't we? Paul, maybe not like this, but Paul commands an evil spirit, doesn't he? In verse 18, to come out, and subsequently the Holy Spirit is the one entering. And the result, a changed life, yes, but backlash as well. Look at verse 20. These men being Jews. You hear it? Exceedingly trouble our city. Anti-Semitism is there, I think. And of course, they're Jews, aren't they? Look, there's a torn here from the pit. They've taken their income away. Familiar, isn't it? Familiar. One writer says, when Paul exercised the spirit that possessed her, he exercised their source of income as well. I hope there's nobody anti-Semitic here tonight. As the Bible condemns such evil, evil behavior. Now, you may not be possessed like the young girl, but when Jesus of Nazareth interrupts your misery, your family, maybe some of your friends, won't be happy. But you'll be happy. You don't see anyone going back here, do you? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the sight and the burden of my sin rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm grumpy all the day. No, <laughs> now I'm happy all the day. And that's where we're getting to in this chapter. I found in him a resting place. And do you remember the next bit? He has made me glad. Don't be grumpy. But I, it's a difficult day though. Look at verse 22. The multitude rise against them. 
I see man, they're poor. I don't know if you've watched the news, you've heard reports. People don't change. Man, they're poor is here. The multitude raised against them. I see Manipur with the rods and the hatred, the stripes, the prison in verse 23. And I see Calvary here. They did the same to him, didn't they? You see, becoming a Christian doesn't guarantee wealth, health, and an easier ride. But it does guarantee company. It guarantees hope. It guarantees life. It guarantees freedom. And it guarantees union with Jesus Christ. John 15, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's why we can hear singing in the dungeon. That's why Christ on the cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're bloody, just like he was. Yes. They've got broken ribs, just probably... Not like him, but they're battered like him. They've got, uh, there's not much air in that innermost dungeon. You're in the Bastille of the place, the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon. And yet they're singing. They've got enough air to croak their hymns of praise. And I know there are people who've got more experience in the Middle East here than me. But it's hot in the Middle East. And it's not that stiff upper lip kind of culture where you don't show any emotions. The people watching the singing here are flabbergasted. Imagine the heat. Imagine the misery. But something else which is unbelievable is verse 26. So we're hearing voices of joy, voices of gladness in this dark situation. And then suddenly in verse 26... An earthquake. This is the same word that Luke used back in Acts 2. The events of Pentecost, suddenly. And that's how God works, isn't it? Suddenly. In lives, in situations, in our land, suddenly. Don't give up. Today, earthquakes can open doors. Earthquakes wake people up, don't they? Like in Abergavenny a few weeks ago. But I've never heard of earthquakes get you out of the stocks. This is divine. This is divine. No Harry Houdini job. But there's another voice now. So we've had that voice of joy, that amazing paradox which a Christian can have joy in the dark. We hear, can you hear it in the text? Probably not, because it's more like a despondent sigh. A silence that shouts... Let's zoom in on verse 27 now. The jailer returns. The keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. This is the voice of desperation. Oh, the sigh. And that's the sigh out there, isn't it? Are you sighing tonight? Are you fed up? Who is this man exactly? I, I said he's probably an ex-military man. Being a colony, Roman soldiers would retire to these places which are a bit more pleasant than Rome. He's hard. He's tough. What's he like? Well, verse 24 says 
he received a charge, but then he goes even further, doesn't he? He smashes them into the deep prison. He's a real nasty piece of work. Maybe there's one here. Maybe you're here tonight. Are you a nasty piece of work? They're wounded and bloody. He doesn't do anything for them. He thrusts them into the darkest part of the prison. But his life is at a crossroads now. He, why is he drawing his sword? Well, his job is in danger. His honour is ruined. His family are probably going to be disgusted. More than that, he's just, just witnessed the power of God, hasn't he, in that earthquake. And he probably thinks that it, it's all a, he's going to have the soldier's death. The Roman soldier's death. I don't know if you've seen Gladiator. It's not a very nice film. But they depict the Roman soldier's death through the neck. Not pleasant, but it's here. So he wants to go before that end. This guy's life is ruined. But the jailer encounters God, doesn't he? The power of God in the earthquake. The power of God in their actions. I think these two things are even more powerful than the earthquake. In the, in the face of suffering, what does he see? Peace and joy. That's scary for an outsider. They think we're brainwashed and mad, you see, when that happens. But he also sees that in the face of cruelty... They're kind and forgiving. One of the most powerful testimonies, brothers and sisters, is how you're behaving in the dark. People are listening, Heath. People are watching you. People are probably tuning in for the first time tonight. What are we like in the dark? We think of our Lord again. Beaten, bruised, crucified in the face of such cruelty. And yet, he thinks of them. He thinks of you. He thinks of you. Paul and Silas could have made a run there, couldn't they? The others could have overthrown the jailer in the dark. But when the light comes in verse 29, they're all still there. It's, it's strange, it's weird. But not only does the jailer hear and experience the power of God in the earthquake, the power of God in their actions, but most of all, the power of God in Paul and Silas's words. Do you know what they say? Do yourself no harm. And I say the same to you tonight. I don't know what you've been going through. Have you been through hell? Are you giving up? Are you at the end of your tether? Are you so desperate that you don't even know what to say anymore? God says to you, do yourself no harm. There is life, life for a look at the crucified one. And he says, doesn't he, what must I do to be saved? Oh, I pray that if you're not saved here tonight, that at some point in your life, you will say, what must I do to be saved. Things like Alcoholics Anonymous or counsellors in the world say, don't they, you've got it in you. <laughs> I've not been to Alcoholics Anonymous, but I know they tell you to look within and to find the inner Nathan, that strong man. 
that's, in, that's not true, is it? You all know, don't you, that true help, when it comes to the spiritual realm, comes from without. What must I do, he says. Men, men, you men here in particular, you want to sort things out, don't you? Action man. I'm not going to sing it. The greatest hero of them all. I, when I was little, I had my first action man in 1996. Esther had just come along. So I, I think mum and dad gave me this fantastic action man. He could do rollerblading. He had a zip wire. He had a bow and arrow. And he even had black painted hair so that he would never go grey. And muscles, <laughs> which I've never had. <laughs> oh... And he doesn't have a double chin neither. Wow. He wants, he, you see, the Philippian jailer, he wants to do something, doesn't he? What must I do to be saved? I do. And we're like that as humans, aren't we? I want to do something. Think of old Naaman, another trooper, another veteran of the army. Naaman said, didn't he, I'm not, I'm not washing in that, in that slop, the Jordan. Naaman was offended, wasn't he? I want to go and kill a beast. I want a princess to rescue. And the jailer is similar here. What must I do? What must I do? I've got to do something to be saved. Remember, he's in the world of Hercules, the impossible tasks. But he'd just seen the power of God in the quake. He'd seen the amazing power of God in their behavior. And he must be really, really puzzled with Paul's words. There's a voice here that answers his desperation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in what Jesus has done. In what the Lord Jesus Christ, not just a man, not just a carpenter from the Middle East has done. Believe in what he has done for you. He's God too, the perfect Lamb of God, spotless, fully man, fully God, lives the life I can never live, and you know you can't live it either. He dies the death deserved by each and every one of us. There's action for you. There's the real action, man, in weakness, in suffering. I don't care if you're a tough cookie here tonight, or Coco Chanel, or a prostitute. The, 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 the gospel says believe. If you want to use another word, look. Just look. There was another interesting man back in the gospel of John, wasn't there? He came at night again. Nicodemus comes at night. And the old scholar comes to see Christ. He's a clever guy. He's got a He's got more PhDs than you can probably shake a stick at. And Jesus gives him a bedtime story again. He takes him back to the desert of their ancient history. And he says to them about that serpent lifted in the Sinai Desert. And you can imagine the scene, can't you? People in their wheelchairs would be coming. Not that they had wheelchairs, but you get my meaning. And then you'd have, my son would be there. There's dad coming. There's my grandfather. He's coming. Why? Because they've all been bitten. They're all under this curse of sin. What is sin? Rebellion against God from day one. They're all in need of an antidote. 
They all need to look, don't they? And Jesus says to that old professor, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The whoever, I love that word, don't you? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He doesn't say whoever cleans themselves up, whoever um, says sorry 10,000 times. No, he says whoever believes is that repentant faith, but it's a belief in repentance as well. Looking at someone from without of yourself. What must I do? Just believe in the one who's done it for you. That's good news, isn't it? But there's a final voice here, isn't there, in this chapter, this wonderful Acts 16, which we've rushed through. Can you see it? The voice of joy at breakfast again. Voice of joy at breakfast. How do we know that this man believes? Did you spot it? There are three marks here. The first mark, look how action man, this brutal old timer, takes the people that he'd, be, he'd thrown into the darkest dungeon. He, in their blood, in their dirt, he takes them and he washes them. This is repentance in action. What is repentance? It's turning. Turning away from what he was like before. He's turned from verse 24, isn't he? don't know how else to describe it, really. Look at verse 24. He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And I tell you, that wouldn't have been a gentle fastening in the stocks. And then look at verse 33. He's sorry. He washes them. Something very vulnerable there, isn't there? This man washing. There was another washer, wasn't there? On his knees with a towel. Different context, different verse there, but there's something lovely about that caring, compassion, that love of this hard man now washing these two Jews, which for a Roman, you don't wash Jews. If you know anything about the Third Reich, that's the closest we get to this situation. Imagine Heinrich Reinhardt or Joseph Goebbels washing two Jewish men after a concentration camp. That's the gospel. The gospel can do that. It's not, it's not just a spiritual in-working. It's being outworked in this compassion. But secondly, there's a commitment, isn't there? Notice how happy and communal this is. He doesn't keep it to himself, Heath Church. He doesn't just stay in the dungeon, does he? <laughs> he doesn't just stay. He, he wants to tell his family. He calls them. And we witness a household baptism. Now, perhaps there was a fountain, or perhaps there was a bowl, but there was water, brothers and sisters. There was water present. Who knows? Uh, John Stott imagines the same bowl used for washing uh, the um, wounds. But the text doesn't tell us. The importance is they're baptized. Are you a Christian here tonight? Have you been baptized? It's a command. Now, you may have waited years for it. This chap's not waiting, is he? He's straight in there. Are you a Christian here this evening? 
If you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, come to the waters. John Chrysostom, he washed them and was washed. Those he washed from their stripes himself was washed from his sins. Don't worry, that's, baptism is an outward sign of what has happened in him. But finally, there's joy, isn't there? Are you, are, you, are you happy tonight? Look at verse 34. Look at verse 34. Now, when he had brought them into his house, they have breakfast, don't they? I assume it's breakfast, but I don't know. And he rejoiced, having believed, he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. I do believe the Lord does work in families. And isn't it lovely when family member after family member after family member comes to Jesus? I know some of you are praying for your children. God delights to save families. And this is a lovely, lovely situation, is it? But they don't keep it in the house, do they? Look, you know, you know what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. I have ceased from my wandering and going astray since Jesus came into my heart and my sins, which were many and are all washed away since Jesus came into my heart. That's the song of the Philippian jailer. And that's the song that carries on all the way to verse 40. We're just having an overview tonight of these verses. Verse 40, so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them. They would have sang, I think. <laughs> we Welsh like singing, don't we? They, would have, they encouraged them and departed. This is a really good after meeting, isn't it? <laughs> Can we imagine it? There's Luke in the corner taking notes. And you've got Paul and Silas battered and bruised. And yet we, we think of them as these giants. And yet they're smiling, perhaps. You've got the jailers like Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas morning, I think. Light as a feather, giddy as a schoolboy. Lydia Coco Chanel in her purple, a mother in Israel. The woman who had told fortunes, now dressed at the table and in her right mind. I imagine them all there. My friends, have you been eavesdropping this evening? Are you a guest here this evening? I don't know your background, but we've seen joy in the night, haven't we? Does that intrigue you? Keep plodding, keep poking, asking, why are you happy? We've heard desperation from a suicidal action man. But we're witnessing joy, joy over breakfast. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You shall be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We conclude. You know what hymn I'm going to choose? <laughs> 524. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused the quickening ray. I woke, 
the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. Is this your... Can you say hallelujah to that? Yeah? Amen. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. 524.
Father, we praise Thee uh, for that voice of the Saviour that uh, we have heard. Um, We ask, O God, that every one of us here this evening would know what it is to have our chains falling off and our hearts being free and rising up uh, to follow uh, Thee with all our hearts. O Lord our God, we thank Thee that even in the night we can sing. And we just ask thee now to draw near to us as we come to this thy table to remember what it cost thee, Lord Jesus, to make us sinners whole. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 